From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Today we review the results of the Round the World Laziness Contest. A few weeks ago we asked our dear listeners to tell us, in 25 words or less, why they think they are the world's laziest person. The winners could very well take home some fabulous prizes. We received some highly compelling evidence both in our mailbag and from the contact page of the cracklinjane.com website. Some lucky lazy listener will soon wear the crown of indolence. Later on, we'll hear from some people who think laziness is something to be ashamed of. But we're also going to find out how being lazy can make you a better inventor, artist, or world leader. Plus, the best kept secret of the movers and shakers, a good nap in the middle of the day. Loafing on a lazy day, just dozing while the hours pass away. I think I heard Pa calling, but my hearing's poor, ain't right too sure, but I hate work. Loafing on a lazy day Just chewing on a piece of new mown hay And watching cotton clouds go drifting lazily The sky's so blue, I ain't blue, not me Gee, but I could lie here all day long Looking at the purple hills But my pa says loafing mighty wrong you never have a cent to pay your bills all their lives folks work and rest and still they never free themselves from death so i'm just gonna dream until i'm old and gray you'll find me loafing on the lazy day Buddy Moreno with Dick Jurgens and his orchestra have the right idea, loafing on a lazy 1941 day. Now let's review some of the entries to the Round the World Laziness Contest. In 25 words or less, tell us why you are the world's laziest person. Here we go. I'm the world's laziest person because my motto is, if I can't reach it from my barca lounger, I didn't need it anyway. All right, let's submit that to the panel of judges. Uh, What's next? I'm so lazy I watch the sunrise on TV because I'm too lazy to watch it for real. All right, here's another one. 
I know I'm lazy because I get so excited when I have to cancel my plans. Well, I can relate to that one. Now, Helen Humes will tell us why she is the laziest gal in town. Here she is in 1951.
That was Evelyn Knight in 1946 describing her lazy day. And not to be outdone in the laziness department, she was preceded by Helen Humes, claiming to be the laziest gal in town in 1951. This is WSHDLP Eastport, and we are reviewing the entries to the Round the World Laziness Contest. Here's another entrant. I'm so lazy, I have a stay-at-home job, and still can't manage to get to work on time. All right, great. Our panel of judges have developed scientific criteria to score each of these entries using a mathematical algorithm, which is a closely held trade secret. Here's another entry. Esteemed round the world panel. I am a world renowned playwright. An example of my loathsome level of laziness is evidenced in the fact that I was handing my latest finished play to the actors for the first time while it was in the middle of being performed on opening night. Signed, Richard Sheridan. We're sorry, Mr. Sheridan. We are disqualifying overachievers who submit more than our 25-word limit. Your note contained over 50 words. Now, Arthur Fields is joining us from the year 1918... Oh, how I hate to get up in the morning. The other day I chanced to meet a soldier friend of mine. He'd been in camp for several weeks and he was looking fine. His muscles had developed and his cheeks were rosy red. I asked him how he liked the life, and this is what he said. Oh, how I hate to get up in the morning. Oh, how I'd love to remain in bed. For the hardest blow of all is to hear the bugler call. You've got to get up, you've got to get up, you've got to get up this morning. Someday I'm going to murder the bugler. Someday they're going to find him dead. I'll amputate his revelry and step upon it heavily and spend the rest of my life in bed. 
bugler in the army is the luckiest of men. He wakes the boys at five and then goes back to bed again. He doesn't have to blow again until the afternoon. If everything goes well with me, I'll be a bugler soon. Oh, how I hate to get up in the morning. Oh, how I'd love to remain in bed. For the hardest blow of all is to hear the bugler call. You've got to get up, you've got to get up, you've got to get up this morning. Someday I'm going to murder the bugler. Someday they're going to find him dead. I'll amputate his reveille and step upon it heavily and spend the rest of my life in bed. Oh, how I hate to get up in the morning. Oh, how I'd love to remain in bed. For the hardest blow of all is to hear the bugler call. You've got to get up, you've got to get up, you've got to get up this morning. Oh boy, the minute of battle is over. Oh boy, the minute the foe is dead. I'll put my uniform away and move to Philadelphia and spend the rest of my life in bed. I'm a jerk Cause I never bother to work I want you to know how I feel I'm too lazy to work And too nervous to steal Know all the boys long a stroll See by me all the juice I can hold and though I seldom get a square meal I'm too lazy to work and too nervous to steal See all you guys in your tails and tucks Looking like a million bucks Though my bankroll is badly bent I make all the social events my I don't need a cab like car I'm too help to travel that far All the girls calls me a heel Cause I'm too lazy to work and too nervous to steal Looking like a million bucks 
Lazy to Work. That was the Bob Carter Trio in 1947. Before that, Arthur Fields gave us the 1918 World War I hit, Oh How I Hate to Get Up in the Morning. You have tuned in to the Round the World Laziness Contest, and we're reviewing the entries submitted by our respected listeners. How about this? I'm so lazy, I clear one teeny hole in the snow to look out of my windshield, hoping the wind will blow the rest away. Wow, that was 25 words exactly. Thank you for that submission, which we turn over to the panel of judges. And I think we have time for one more. Here we go. If I win this laziness contest, I'm going to send someone else to pick up the prize for me. Okay, we like to thank everyone who is lazy enough to send in their 25 words or less of why they are the world's laziest person. If you didn't hear your entry... Rest assured the judges are giving it their full consideration. Now, the ink spots are here with their contest entry from 1941. I don't want to set the world on fire. I don't want to set the world on fire. A flame in your heart In my heart I have but one desire And that one is you No other will I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just want to be the one you love. And with your admission that you feel the same, I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. Believe me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. I don't want to set the world on fire, honey. I just want to start a great big flame deep down in your heart. Down inside of me I only got one desire 
And darling, that one desire is you. And I know nobody else ain't gonna do I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just want to be the one you love. And with your admission that you feel the same, I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. Believe me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I'm a lazy tabby bug, mama, lazy bug you ever seen. I'm a lazy tabby bug, the lazy bug you ever seen. All the women crazy about me cause I'm so doggone mean. When you get low down and lazy and the women turn their back on you. When you get low down and lazy and the women turn their back on you. Well, it make me so mad cause I can't roll jelly like I used to do. I done got so old to the strength gone out of my bone. I done got so lazy to the strength gone out of my bone. I done got so lazy till I can't carry my homework home. Play it then. That when you get all in people and you ain't got a dime. When you get all in people, sure ain't got a dime. Say you won't don't love you, just have to go down and cry. Little Boy Fuller, Lazy Bug Blues from 1946. And that outspoken assemblage of indolence was set about by the Ink Spots in 1941, I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. And today we are extolling the prevalence and benefits of indolence and laziness. We just reviewed the entries to our laziness contest, and, and while the judges tabulate the results, let's consider that... Uh, of course, not everyone thinks laziness is a good thing. 
Here's Billy Murray in 1906 complaining about his labor-shirking dad. Everybody works but father. I go to my work With overcoat buttoned up round my neck No job would I shirk Winter winds blow round my head Cutting up my face I tell you what I'd like to have My dear old father's place Everybody works but father And he sits round all day Seat in front of the fire Smoking his pipe of clay Mother takes in washing So does Sister Anne Everybody works at our house But my old man When the holidays came around We all got presents sure Dear father gave us good advice Be happy though you're poor In father's stocking Christmas morn I never will forget He found a $50 bill He hasn't paid it yet Everybody was but father And he sits round all day Feet in front of the fire Smoking his pipe of clay Mother takes in washing So does Sister Anne Everybody works at our house But my old man
sleeping in the shade. I used to beg to get your cornmeal made. You never get your cornmeal made. Just sleeping in the evening shade. And when the taters need spraying, I bet you keep praying that the bugs fall off of the vine. When you go fishing, I bet you keep wishing that the fish won't grab at your line. You is a lazy bone, loafing all day. How you expect to make a dime that away? You never make a dime that away. Why, look at here, you never hear the word I say. heard Everybody Works But Father, bewailed by Billy Murray in 1906, then Walter Hunt with Glenn Gray and the Casaloma Orchestra, recriminating against idleness and sloth with the 1933 Lazy Bones. And we hear next the Midge Williams Orchestra giving us the same song in Japanese from 1934. <laughs> Oh, it's the more 
Judgmentalism Against Lethargy. That was Leon Huff with Johnny Lee Wills and his boys with the 1947 Lazy John. Before that, Lazy Bones in Japanese and English in a 1934 Tokyo recording by the Midge Williams Orchestra. 
But dear friends, laziness has a good side and an important side. Consider that if you are a hard and industrious worker, you may never stop to consider ways to make the work easier and faster. They say if necessity is the mother of invention, then laziness is the father. Some inventions that arose due to laziness are escalators, TV remotes, computers, and the lazy boy loungers with beer refrigerators. We now pay musical tribute to laziness, starting with Cootie Williams with Duke Ellington and his famous 1932 orchestra, Lazy Rhapsody.
into the sounding of the wagon song. Abiding in the room I found, a counting miles of ground as we roll along. Yodi yo lady are riding on the trail, rolling along. I'm riding for lazy acres, singing a lazy song, riding lazy acres, lay back and loaf along. Neath the sky with the herd on the prairie is the place where we rope and play, where a song breathes a smile on the prairie, and we sing not for fame, not for pay, riding lazy acres, loping the lazy lane, riding lazy acres, out on a western plain. Macy with Louise Macy and the Westerners, the 1941 Lazy Acres, before that Lazy Rhapsody, featuring Cootie Williams with Duke Ellington and his famous orchestra in 1932. Lazy people give their bodies and minds an opportunity to recharge by taking regular breaks, thus avoiding burnout. Ever notice how sometimes you can beat your head against the wall trying to figure something out, and then a solution just pops into your head when you're in the shower. Mind wandering is a useful mechanism for our brains to process information, sometimes leading to non-obvious solutions. Another benefit of letting our mind wander without forcing ourselves to pay attention to a productive task is a higher focus on long-term goals. For best results, alternate between working hard and then kicking back to give your brain a chance to process everything. Here's Matt Dennis with Paul Weston and his orchestra in a lazy 1947 mood. <laughs> 
tell you why the days go by like caterpillars do. And clouds are cotton blossoms in a field of blue. Love's got me in a lazy mood. I'll tell you why stars in the sky pick every night to shine. And why the moon's a watermelon on the vine. Love's got me in a lazy mood. When a bright and early sun begins to steam it up, you'll find me underneath the nearest tree, picking petals off a daisy while I dream it up—just the absent-minded kid that's me. I'll tell you why I don't reply to mail that's overdue, and why I never answer when I'm spoken to. It isn't that I'm really rude. Love's got me in a lazy mood. Holds me, squeezes, folds me. Be- 
Edith Wilson in 1929. My man is good for nothing but love. He may not be a workaholic, but she loves him just the same. Before that, Matt Dennis in a lazy mood with Paul Weston and his orchestra in 1947. And before we wind up this hour, we'd like to mention the importance of naps. Thomas Edison, with over a thousand patented inventions, who bragged that he slept only three or four hours a night, actually took a couple of three-hour naps during the workday. He was exercising the alternation of mental rest and intense activity that optimizes creativity. He could be found either curled up on a workbench or out on the lawn with a pillow in the middle of the afternoon. Other power nappers were Napoleon, Winston Churchill, and John F. Kennedy, each of which scheduled daily sacrosanct naps. Now let's doze off with Louis Armstrong and his 1940 Lazy Sippy Steamer. sun is shining and the air is sweet make you feel so drowsy you can't move your feet wanna find an easy chair and go to sleep on the lazy sippy steamer going home cotton fields are wearing all their snowy white lordy but that homeland is a welcome sight Hard to keep believing that you're seeing right on Lazy Sippy Steamer going home. Now hear that humming in the bayou. Hear that singing on the shore. Friends and neighbors saying hi you. Can't keep away from the place you adore. Lazy breeze is blowing, but it blows me straight To the one who's waiting by the landing gate Oh, move along, you slow boat Can't you see I'm late From the lazy sippy steamer going home
I've traveled east, I've traveled west, I've been in every state. A member of the Knights of Respite dues paid up to date. There's just two things that I despise, two things I always shirk. The first thing is a cake of soap, the other one is work. My life to me is just a spree, I'm always on a lark. Somebody said you're just a bum, I don't like that remark. Who said I was a bum? Who said I was a bum? I haven't worked for 20 years, I guess I'm not so dumb. And as I tramp along the road, the people hear me hum. I know I'm a hobo, but who said I was a bum? I must admit I never fit in any job and say, whenever I see a pile of wood, I look the other way. I haven't shaved in many a year, I really am afraid Because I fear my wire beard would break the razor blade The other day while on my way, a cop gave me a chase I thought I heard him holler, take that mattress off your face Who said I was a bum? Who said I was a bum? I'm just an easy-going guy and things are easy come I bum a nickel now and then to keep me full of rum I know I'm a hobo, but who said I was a bum? My coat is worn, my shoes are torn, there's holes in both my toes. And what is worse, I always nurse a blossom on my nose. And with a glance, you'll see my pants are baggy at the knees. They're worn so thin, I feel the wind blow through my VBDs. Now, they ain't nothing worries me, I'm mighty glad of that. There's never nothing on my mind except a dirty hat. Who said I was a bum? Who said I was a bum? Don't think that I am a lonesome guy because I look so glum. I've got a lot of cootie friends that keep me on the hum. I know I'm a hobo, but who said I was a bum? I travel in the best of style no matter what the rates. I ride the rods on Pullman cars, sometimes I ride the freights. I always eat the finest food, I always ask for more. I mean the kind of food they hand me out the kitchen door. From coast to coast, no bum can boast such popularity. Wherever I stop, I find a cop that's waiting to welcome me. Oh, who said I was a bum? Who said I was a bum? I've been thrown in many a jail, they've thrown me out of some. I never worked, I never want, and I never will buy gum. I know I'm a hobo, but who said I was a bum? That was Wendell Hall in 1928. Who said I was a bum? A proud potentate of torpidity. Before that, Louis Armstrong on a lazy, sippy steamer in 1940. And this concludes our elucidation of laziness. We asked you, our listeners, to describe your own evidence of sloth and shortcut-taking in 25 words or less. The judges haven't quite finished their evaluation of the best entry and may not quite get to it today, but rest assured they'll get right on it soon. We also looked at the important role of laziness in creativity, invention, and problem-solving. A daily nap may just turn you into another Thomas Edison. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Around the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now let's fluff up our pillow and relax with a 
radio drama about a famously lazy gent, Rip Van Winkle, presented by Family Theater in 200 years ago in the little Dutch village of Spukendorf at the foot of the Catskills, those ancient mountains shrouded in mist and mystery. On the ragged edge of Spukendorf lived the Van Winkle family, Rip Van Winkle, Dame Van Winkle, and their two children, Judy and Rip Jr., the house was run down, the barn was run down, and the farm was run down. The only thing that would never run down was Dame Winkle's tongue and Rip Van Winkle's rocking chair. Rip, you lazy, good-for-nothing, get up out of that squeaky old rocking chair and off the porch. Go out and cut the hay. No, don't hurry, my dear. I've been thinking about cutting that hay for a long time. I've been studying the best way to do it. Been looking for that scythe two years now. Well, of course you can't find the scythe. You wouldn't have the energy. Too much trouble. No, you just dropped it down on the ground somewhere and let it lie there. I guess I did, yes. The laziest man in the village, they call you. Rip Van Winkle, the town loafer. Oh, why did I ever have to marry you? Because, my dear, I am a charming man. A gentle person. Reserved. <laughs> Quiet. If you were any quieter, you'd be dead. And if I were, I couldn't hear you scolding me, could I? Uh, some folks fear death. I wonder why. Now go on, get up out of that chair. What makes it squeak so? It's loose in the joints. Well, so are you. Get up now, go and look for that side. Oh, uh, mm, and I was so comfortable here. Here comes your lazy son. He walks just like you do. Young Rip is a good boy. He's too lazy to be anything else. Thank heavens his sister Judith is more like I am. Hey, Big Rip. Nick Fetter wants to see you. Don't call your father Big Rip. Well, they call me Little Rip, so he must be Big Rip. What does Nicholas Vetter, the richest man in the village, want with Rip Van Winkle, the laziest man in the village? Well, he wants to give him a job. Did you hear that, Rip? Nick has a job for you. I had a premonition of something like that. This morning, a black cat crossed my path. Well, he wants you to cut some wood. Says, bring your axe. Oh, uh, but I don't know where my axe is. Let me sit down again and think where I last had it. Let me see now. Well, I know where the axe is, Big Rip. 
In the corner of the woodshed, behind that old wheelbarrow. Ah, uh, little Rip. I hope a black cat walks in front of you someday. She's a grand morning, Nicholas. Hi there, so it is. I keep this bench out here in front of my inn just for days like this. I can sit here and watch the children play. And watch your customers, too. Yes, yes. I manage to keep an eye on their comings and goings. Just now, there's but one man staying here. Yes, I've seen him. A cadaverous-looking gentleman dressed all in black. That's the man. His yes. name is Vilmore Voom. Vilmore Boom. Mm-hmm. Strange name, but it fits him. What does he do? Oh, he's a botanist, and he wants me to guide him up into the mountains to hunt for rare plants. Oh, but not I. I'm afraid of what's up there. Oh, come, come, good Nicholas. Surely you don't believe those silly fireside tales of goblins and spirits in the Catskills? There are caves in the Catskills no man dares venture into. Trees wave their branches with no breath of air to stir them. Rocks start rolling down the slope. The force of gravity being what it is, rocks do move occasionally. Nothing is immovable. Even Rip Van Winkle moves when that wife of his gets after him. Oh, how that woman can talk. (laughs) She has an eight-day tongue. (laughs) I sent little Rip home to tell Big Rip I want him to cut down some trees. Do you want to frighten the man? Rip will never cut down any trees. I know he won't. I just gave him that message to get him out of the house. <laughs> it must have worked, because here he comes now. Oh, yeah. oh, Rip, Rip. We saved a place on the bench for you. Yes, Rip. Uh, you got out, I see. Uh, good morning, friend Nicholas. And Derek, it's good to be among friends. Again. Oh, sit down, Rip, sit down. No, Nicholas, if I must get up again to cut that wood, I'd better just stay up. After all, a man's joints can bend only so many times. (laughs) Well, sit down, Rip, sit down. The woodcutting was just an excuse to get you out of the house. No wood to cut? No wood to cut. And to think I carried this axe all the way here. (laughs) (laughs) But, Rip, I do have work for you. Something far easier than cutting wood. How would you like to spend a day roaming around up there in the mountains? Up there? Up there. Just climbing around. Let me tell you how you can earn a bit of money. I have a guest here at the inn, a man named Vilmore Voom. I don't care if he's... Could you give me that name again? Vilmore Voom. What a beautiful name to shout down a rain barrel. (laughs) Vilmore Voom. Vilmore Voom. Voom, voom, voom. What does he do? Oh, he hunts for strange plants, shrubs, and herbs. He wants somebody to guide him through the Catskills. Boom, boom, boom. That is the place to find strange things. But don't ask me to take him there. Oh, oh, this is the man coming out now. Good morning, sir. Ah, yes. It is indeed a very good morning. Uh, Permit me to share two of my good friends with you. Vilmore Boom, this is Derek Van Brummel, our schoolmaster. A pleasure, Mr. Van Brummel. How do you do, Vilmore Boom? And this is Rip Van Winkle, our Rip Van Winkle. And greetings to you, Mr. Van Winkle. Boom, boom, boom. Say hello to Mr. I'm happy to meet you, Vilmore Boom. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Sit down, sit down, Mr. Boom. Uh, Move over, boys. Thank you, sir. Boom, boom, boom. What did you say, Mr. Van Winkle? Boom, boom, boom. Oh, I said my wife should ride a broom, broom, broom. She is a witch. A what? A witch. 
Uh, well, at least her tongue is. She's a fine woman, you understand. Generous, too. She never gives you one word when a thousand will do just as well. Oh, my dear sir. Then you should be interested in one of my plants that I'm hunting. The mumbleberry. The mumbleberry? Oh, yes. It's a most unusual shrub. Oh, it grows about so high, I'm told. What good is it? It cures people of talking too much. My good friend, tell me more. <laughs> I thought you'd be interested. The leaves are shaped like a star. And the plant, as its name implies, has a berry. Now, the juice of this berry has interesting properties. Mm, if it can slow down my wife's tongue, it has marvelous properties. It might, sir. Now, the pure juice is a very powerful potion. Just two or three drops of the mumbleberry juice in a cup of tea is all that is needed. Two or three drops in a cup of tea. What happens? The person becomes drowsy. Hmm. And loses his voice almost completely for several days. Mm. What happens after several days? If the person regains his voice. Her voice. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. If she regains her voice. But from, from then on, her voice is soft and low. Her disposition is more calm. Oh, she's a sweeter person. And a quieter one. Our friend Voom, what a beautiful picture you paint. Does the mumbleberry grow here in the Catskill? I have heard that it does. Would you know it if you found it? Oh, I, of course. I'd start out to look for it this very morning if I only had a guide. You say it makes her voice soft and low? Soft and low. Vilmore Voom, you have a guide. This is the hardest work I've done in many a moon. Yes, this has been quite a climb. But the scenery is worth it. What a view. Never mind the view, Vilmore Voom. The mumblebee. Oh, uh, yes, but really. The mumblebear. Look at that panorama. Uh, oh, the silver thread you see winding through yonder valley is the mighty Hudson. Now, in the years to come... Friend... Where is that mumbleberry plant? It's getting late, and I don't want to be caught up here after dark. Oh, what are you afraid of? You stay up here and find out. <laughs> Look. Eh? Look, here's a plant with five-pointed leaves. Let me see, let me see, let me see. No, no, that is the common Virginia creeper. But we'll keep looking. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, oh. Well, well, there seems to be a cave behind these bushes. A cave? Uh-uh. Let's get out of here. Oh, what's the matter? Calamity Cave is somewhere around here, and I think that's it. No, no, don't, don't, don't go in there. Oh, why not? Because you haven't found the mumbleberry bush yet. After you find a mumbleberry bush, I don't care what happens to you. Oh, look, look. Oh. Look behind you. I'm afraid to look. What is it? The mumbleberry. Oh. Oh. It's right there, you see. Oh, what beautiful berries. I will gather Some? Some. Gather all of them. Don't forget the tea. Yes, but you remember, Rip, mumbleberry juice is very potent. No more than three drops in a cup of tea. For my wife, four drops. Rip, I can't believe it. You're making me a cup of tea. Can't a man make a cup of tea for his wife if he wants to? Yes, 
but this is the first time you've ever wanted to. Why are you being so nice to me all at once? What have you been up to? Nothing, nothing. I chopped some wood for Nicholas Vedder, and he gave me a pound of tea. And uh, so, my dear, I thought of you. Oh. Hmm. All right, I'll get cups and sausage. Uh, just one cup, my dear. I don't care for any. One drop. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six, there now. Da, dee, 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 da, da. All right, here's a cup to pour uh, it in. Mm. If you'd work more often, we could have cups with handles on. Even when you work, you don't work at it. You fiddled around all day and did so little work, all you got for it was a pound of tea. Ah, uh, but what tea? Just wait. Well, for all this fuss, it'd better be good. It is, my dear. I don't care for tea, so this is all for you. There you are. Well, thanks. Smells pretty good. Ooh, tastes pretty good. Hey, this is good. Fine, fine. Drink it right down. Don't you want some? What? Uh, oh, no, no, my dear. You drink it all. It'll be good for me. Well, I must say it's excellent. Very excellent. Rip, that's the finest tea I ever tasted. More. Uh, do you think you ought to... Uh... Oh, sure. Keep pouring. I'll drink all of it. Well, all right. You might as well get it good. <laughs> Oh, it does make me feel so good because it loosens my tongue and makes me feel like talking. It does? Oh, yes. Yes, I could just run on and on like this forever. After all these years of loafing around doing nothing, you finally got up enough energy to make yourself useful for a change. I don't believe for a minute that you were chopping wood all afternoon, though. If you had... Hey, Let me sleep, will First you, you lost your scythe, and now your axe is gone. Please, dear. I don't believe you were cutting wood at all. Now, mm. listen here, Rip Van Winkle. Now, listen to me. Does Nicholas Bender have some more of that delicious tea? I don't know, and I've been telling you that all night. Well, it's daybreak now. You get up and go and get it. I must have some more. Do you think you can find the right kind? This time, my dear, I've got to find the right kind. <laughs> Oh, Nicholas. Nicholas Veed. Yes, coming, sir. Oh, it's you, Rip. What do you want at this early hour? Two things. My axe and Vilmore Voom. Your axe you may have, but Vilmore Voom is not here. He's gone? On the stagecoach, half an hour ago. Oh, what a pity. Now I'll have to climb those mountains alone. Why? Wasn't that the mumbleberry? It was not. She talked all night. Worse than that, she liked the tea so well I've got to bring home more of it. Oh, Eight miles up and eight miles back. Goodbye, Nicholas. Goodbye. Wish me luck. <sighs> oh, the trouble that woman puts me to. I've hunted all day for a mumbleberry bush. I can't even find the bush I found before. Well, it's getting late. Uh, am I just... Rip Van Winkle. How, who could that be? Rip Van Winkle. How does that strange-looking man know me? And what's in that keg he's toting? 
Are you calling me, sir? Well, of course I'm calling you, Rip Van Winkle. Help me carry this keg. Is it heavy? Of course it's heavy. It's filled to the brim with a special brew we drink this day. Something to drink? Oh, I'll be glad to help you. Uh, yeah. Uh, for now. Oh. It is heavy. Where do we carry it? Straight up this gully. About a mile. Oh. Oh, a game of nine pins. Who are these strangely dressed men? Uh, the ship's crew, of course. Oh, of course. Here comes Hendrick, our captain. Be sure you salute him. Ocean Yan reporting, sir. Here's the keg, sir. Ah, that is good. Uh, put the keg down here. Aye, aye, sir. Aye, aye, sir. Uh, uh, I'm glad that's over. Thank you for your help, Rip Van Winkle. Aye, aye, sir. You're welcome, sir. My, that exercise has made me thirsty. Oh? Would you like... Yes, uh... I would, since you insist, yes. Jan, the flagons. Aye, aye, sir. Aye, aye, sir. Thank you, Jan. A large flagon, sir, or a small one? Oh, it really doesn't matter. A large flagon will be all right. Thank you, Jan. Here you are, sir. Thanks. Your good health, sir. Your good health. That was good. Here, here. Let me help you up. Would you like another? I don't think I can stand another. But I'd like to try one lying down. As I told you, this is an ambrosia, the like of which no mortal has ever tasted. Eh? Here you are again. Thanks. Oh, what is this potion? Mumbleberry juice. Oh, no, no. must have dozed off a bit. I believe I'll have another flag in a... Say, where is everybody? Hey! Hey! I better get up and see. See what... Oh! Oh, my joints. I must have slept here all night. And look at that. Those rascals stole my fine rifle. And this old rusty one left in its place. Oh, what shall I say to Dame Van Winkle? Maybe, maybe I can catch them. Hey, Captain. Hendrik. Hey. 
We can have no better president than General Washington. Well, I grant you he's a fine man and a great general, but does that make him a statesman? Mm, mark my words, Jim. You'll see. I... What on earth is coming down the road? Huh? Uh, some old codger with white whiskers and a rifle. Why, half the village seems to be following him. Oh, no wonder. I've never seen such an apparition. Well, here, yeah, I'll find out what he's up to. Yeah, just a minute, old fella. Where do you think you're going? I... I don't exactly... No, sir. I... I thought I was going to the village of Spukendorf, but everything looks so strange. Hey, this is Spukendorf. What do you mean by toting a rifle and leading a crowd of people here on election day? I've been hunting squirrels, as near as I can remember, and these people just started to follow me. I don't know why. Are you a Federalist or a Democrat? Federalist? Democrat? Sir, I'm just a poor, quiet man, a native of this village, and a loyal subject of the king. Long may he live. A Tory, a spy, a refugee. Uh, arrest the man. Here, here, throw him into prison. Wait, 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 please. I'm not a spy. I don't know what this is all about. Why does everything seem so different since yesterday? Uh, you were here yesterday? Yes, right over there at the village inn. Why, look, the inn is a different color, and the sign has been changed. Yesterday it was a picture of George III. Whose picture is that? George the Washington. I never heard of the man. <laughs> he never heard of George Washington. And this old duffer's a bit touched in the head, methinks. Yeah, come along with us, old fella. Wait, wait. Does anybody here know Rip Van Winkle? The laziest man in the village? Oh, yeah. Oh, to be sure, to be sure. There, there's Rip Van Winkle over there, leaning against that tree. Where? Oh, my goodness. Now, 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 who are you, old fella? I thought I knew, but I'm not myself. That's me yonder. No, no, that's somebody else. Or maybe I'm somebody else. I was myself last night, but I... I fell asleep on the mountain, and they've changed my gun, and everything's changed, and I'm changed, too. Now, now I don't know who I am. Well, just be calm, old man. Come along with us. We'll I'm take... I'm trouble here. What's the matter with that poor man? That voice. It sounds like... Young woman... What's your name? Judith. And your father's name? Oh, poor man. Rip Van Winkle was his name. Twenty years ago, he went away from home with his gun. And he's never been heard of since. Twenty years? Where's your mother? She died two years ago, arguing with a peddler. She talked so fast and furious, she broke a blood vessel and died of a stroke. I was afraid that would happen. Don't you know me? daughter. Huh? I'm your father. Young Rip Van Winkle once, old Rip Van Winkle now. Oh, let me look at them. Yes! Yes, you are Rip Van Winkle. Oh, father, why did you run away and desert my mother and my brother up over there and me? 
Where have you been for the last 20 years? Just like your mother. I'm home, all right. Oh, we're coming to the old place now, Father. Judy, did I really sleep 20 years? Yes, Father. Strange thing happened in the Catskills, as you well know. The men you saw were the spirits of Henry Hudson and the crew of the ship, the Half Moon. That's right. That's right. They called him Captain Henry. Mm-hmm. And every so often, their spirits come back to Earth for one day. They play at nine pins and they drink a strange brew. That they do, daughter. That they do. Well, here we are. This is where we used to live. You can see it for the weeds. It looks worse than it did then. And I didn't think it could. Wonder if my old rocking chair is still in the house. Oh, don't try to get in there, Father. Those weeds are too thick. Mm. One of these days, I'll cut these weeds. Just never got around to it. Come on, Judy. The weeds won't hurt you. Just follow me and I'll... Ah! Oh! Father, what's the matter? Now I'll have to cut them. I just found that scythe. <laughs> Family Theater has presented Frank Fay in Rip Van Winkle with Lorene Tuttle, Jeffrey Silver, Ken Christie, Junius Matthews, and Walter Burke. This adaptation of our American classic was written by Harry Lawrence with music composed and conducted by Harry Zimmerman and was directed for Family Theater by Jaime Del Valle. are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. That was the 1949 family theater adaptation of Rip Van Winkle. Now stay tuned for a 1954 episode of Suspense entitled A Terribly Strange Bed. Mr. Peter Lawford in tonight's presentation of Suspense. Tonight, it's a classic study of suspense, a new dramatization of one of the most terrifying stories ever written. Wilkie Collins, A Terribly Strange Bed. Our star, Mr. Peter Lawford. And now, Autolite presents Mr. Peter Lawford in Wilkie Collins' story, A Terribly Strange Bed, hoping once again to keep you in suspense. Shortly after my education at college was finished, I happened to be staying in Paris with an English friend. We were both young men and lived, I'm afraid, rather a wild life in the city of our sojourn. 
and thus had probed the various refined pleasures suitable to our class and searched for others less elegant. Searched for them in the neighborhood of the Palais Royal, which lies covertly against the dark river Seine. And from each closed doorway, the small echoings of small promises. <laughs> that one, Henry. That doorway there. Oh, you're drunk, Gerald. Pleasantly, exquisitely, modestly, delicately am I drunk. And therefore... Therefore what, Gerald? The doorway I have suggested and the word Frascati painted on it. Noble word, noble mysteries. I've been there. Oh, sly, sly, sly and traitorous friend. You have been there, and alone, slyly and without me. And it has a ghastly kind of respectability. Five franc respectability, and it, it would, would not, not amuse, amuse me. me. Come along, Gerald. Come along, Gerald. Hmm. That's it, Gerald. You're coming along very nicely. What I want, Gerald... Oh, what you want, Henry. Want and you shall find... Want and you shall find... What I want is somewhere where we can see a little genuine blackguard, poverty-stricken gaming with no false gingerbread glitter thrown all over it. No gingerbread for my friend. Thank you, friend. A place not fashionable, not respectable. A place of evil, perhaps. And of emotions I've never known. Oh, Gerald, come along. Gerald will not come along. Gerald is content here. Listen to me. Gerald is content here to lean his weariness and his search against this doorway. Against... <laughs> Gerald! <laughs> the door had flung open behind him, and Gerald had fallen flat on his back. And for a while laughed. Then, with my help, got up. And Gerald laughed no longer. For the room, the gaming room, was tragedy. Mute, weird tragedy. And the quiet in the room, horrible. And the people of the room, a thin, haggard, long-haired young man whose sunken eyes fiercely watched the turning up of the cards and never spoke. The flabby, fat-faced, perspiring player who registered on a pasteboard how often black one and how often red and never spoke. The dirty, wrinkled old man with the vulture eyes and the darn greatcoat who had lost his last sou and still looked on desperately and never spoke. The voice of the croupier. Red and black, make your bets. Red and black, The voice of the croupier, dull, thick in the atmosphere of the room. We had entered on a laugh, but the spectacle before us was something to weep over. I'd found it. The pleasure I searched, I'd found it. Henry. Yeah? Your eyes. The look in them... Yes. <laughs> it's what you wanted, isn't it? The place of evil and of emotions you'd never... I want to play. Red of course you do. Come, then. Red and black, make your bets. Red and black, your bets. Red and black, your bets. A thousand francs on black. Black, black wins. Leave it. All of it, Black. Henry. Shh, wait. Black. Black wins. Leave it. All of it black. Henry. Yes. This is a passion for you. No, no, not a passion. Idle amusement. Okay. Yes, only amusement. Wait. Black. All of it. All of it red. This time, red. Oh, not passion, then. Intoxication, perhaps. Yes, intoxication. As I have never known it, intoxication. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Which has become... Red. Red wins. All of it, red. And 10,000 more. Oh, which has become passion. Which has become passion. Red. Red wings. Now, the black croupier. Black. Oh, uh, permit me, sir. <laughs> permit me to restore to their proper place the two coins which were dropped. <laughs> there, in their proper place. A thousand francs. <laughs> a tall man, and quite fat, pinched into a frogged and braided surtout. A man of goggling, bloodshot eyes, mangy moustaches, and a broken nose. And the dirtiest pair of hands I ever saw. Yet in the mad excitement, his look, his hands, held no repelling influence on me. For now in the mad excitement, in the reckless triumph, I was ready to accept even such as he. What wonderful luck is yours, sir. I pledge you my word of honor as an old soldier in the course of my long experience in this sort of thing. Never but never have I seen such luck as yours. Thank you. Go on, sir. Boldly, handsomely, break the bank. I assure you, sir, I have every intention... Do it then, sir. Go on, break the bank. <laughs> My gallant English comrade, boldly, break the bank. All of it. Black. And I did go on. Went on at such a rate that in an hour... Gentlemen, the bank has discontinued for tonight. In an hour, in an hour of a kind of ecstasy I'd never known, all the notes and all the gold in the bank now lay in a heap under my hands. The whole floating capital of the gambling house under my hands, waiting to pour into my pockets. No. No? No? Uh, no, not in your pockets, sir. For no breeches pockets whatever sold could hold such heavy winnings. Well, then how... Uh, may I take your pocket handkerchief, sir? Thank you. Ah... Tie it up, sir. Tie it up in your handkerchief, as we used to tie up a bit of dinner in the army. <laughs> yeah, shovel it in. Uh, now then, sir, two tight double knots each way, with your permission. Ah, and the money's safe. Thank you. Feel it, feel it, sir. Hard and round, hard and round as a cannonball. Feel it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, champagne, sir. I will buy you champagne. No, thank you. I... Well, for your friend, then. For Henry's friend, then. <laughs> Amiable, gracious Englishman. Champagne! Champagne for the friend of the conqueror of the bank. And for me. Ah, come, sirs. Uh, to my table. <laughs> I am Fabian Nero, gallant sirs. And you? Henry Calder. And this is my friend, Gerald Titchener. Henry, Gerald, Fabian. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. <laughs> Henry, Gerald. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, Henry and Gerald. Fabian. We are friends, aren't we? To have touched your sleeves. To have you seated here beside me. <laughs> this old soldier's heart will burst. My eyes will weep. My hands will... Ah, ah the champagne. Ah, ah, a toast, gentlemen. A toast to... Not for me, please. Oh, oh of course not for you. Uh, Gerald and I, then. You and Gerald, Fabian. <laughs> a toast to the goddess fortune, 
who embraced tonight our Henry and smiled secretly upon him and nestled very close. The goddess of fortune, gentlemen. An English cheer. Hurrah, 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 hurrah. Ah. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. Fabian, quickly enough. Yeah. Gerald, you were tipsy before. Now you'll... Henry, don't... not to permit the golden blood of France to flow through the veins of this vivacious Englishman. And Gerald, your friend. Oh, shame, Henry, shame. <laughs> Drink, Gerald. Uh, toast to France. To the present company, to the croupier. And the croupier's wife. And the croupier's daughter. <sighs> the croupier's <laughs> daughter's... And to ladies elsewhere, and to ladies... I should uh, like coffee, Fabian. Uh, coffee? Coffee. For me and for Gerald. For intoxication... Well, is... coffee it shall be. Uh, coffee! Coffee for the darling of fortune. Coffee! The word pronounced by Fabian Nero seemed to have a magical effect on the company present. They suddenly had lost interest in and all rose to depart. Probably they had expected to profit by my intoxication, by the proffering of champagne. But finding I would have none of it, had now abandoned all hope of thriving pleasantly on my winnings. Whatever their motive might be, at any rate, they went away in a body. And the silence of before was now deeper than ever. Then, from a sort of vestibule at the far corner of the room, a woman appeared, bearing a tray of coffee and glasses, and walked towards us. Enveloped in silence. Woman of emaciated face and burning bright eyes and wisps of colorless hair drifting across her rouged cheeks. Your coffee, sir. Thank you. You will find it strong and good. Thank you. Strong and good, handsome sir. Here you are, sir. Thank you. For I am parched with thirst. And it was kind of you and of Fabian... And gracious and generous. How wise you are, Henry, to drink this coffee of Millie's, the coffee of Millie Prudhomme. Millie Prudhomme. Divine Millie. Beautiful Millie Prudhomme. Oh, <laughs> handsome, sir. Will you have coffee? No. Champagne, Millie. Ah, to drink your beauty. <laughs> How wiser than your friend, Gerald, to drink coffee and rid yourself of your little amiable exaltation of spirits before you think of going home. And you must, my good and gracious friend, for with all that money... Good and gracious friend. With all that money to take home tonight, it is a sacred duty to yourself to have your wits about you. Drink, Henry. Drink your coffee. You are known to be a winner to an enormous extent by several gentlemen present tonight who are but mortal men, sir, and have their own amiable weaknesses. <laughs> Drink, Henry. Who'd surely rob and murder if you were to... Wait. Wait. Oh, yes, Henry? I'm ill. I'm very... What? He is ill. Very ill. I will weep. Henry is ill and I'm drunk. Millie will sob. Will you sob, Millie? Ill. A fit of giddiness. The room whirls round and round. Furiously. Henry! Your voice deafens me. Furiously! Oh, my dear friend, my dear friend. Madness to go home in your state. You would be robbed, murdered. You need a walking and then a sleep. 
and not a murdering. A walking and then sleep and in a safe place, Henry. Yes. Yes, walk. Sleep. In a safe place. The place of Millie Prudhomme. A rooming house above the game room. And the capital beds of Millie's rooming house. I don't... Madness to go to your own home. Sleep at Millie Prudhomme's. And tomorrow, tomorrow... Go home safely with your winnings. Tomorrow, in full flow of life. And in broad daylight. Tomorrow. Gerald. Fabian's writing. If anyone needs sleep, you surely need Come then. Quickly. Come then, quickly. I will help you. Put your arm about me. That's the dear boy. Millie? <laughs> Millie. <laughs> yes, Gerald. <laughs> Come. Ah, injure, Henry. Here, the choicest room of Millie Prudhomme. The capital bed there, and the tasteful furnishing, and the deep sleep to be had, and the safe one. Till tomorrow, Henry. I don't know how to thank you. Oh, you have thanked me enough already with the exaltation of your splendid company. And that I could have been of some small service to your small malady. <laughs> oh, Millie. Well, let me go, Gerald. <laughs> oh, handsome, sir. <laughs> oh, let me... oh, come, Millie. Henry wants his sleep. Oh, the vine, Millie. The vine, the... Oh, Henry, she... Oh, Henry, she... Millie Prudhomme, she... <sighs> Gerald passed into his particular oblivion in the middle of a sentence. I walked over and locked the door. Then I took my money, my winnings wrapped in a handkerchief, and placed beneath the pillow of my bed. I lay down... My senses still swam, and I looked up at the heavily brocaded canopy, and it seemed to move. Somehow to move. And for an instant, I thought, this was a terribly strange bed. Mr. Peter Lawford in Wilkie Collins' A Terribly Strange Bed. Tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. You are listening to WSHDLP Esport. And now, Mr. Peter Lawford in Elliot Lewis's production of a Terribly Strange Bed, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I could not sleep. Restlessness took me over and I got out of bed. There was the dim, quiet flicker of a single candle, and next to it, a washstand. I plunged my face into the water. There was a single chair, and I sat down and tried to compose myself. Slowly, slowly, the giddiness left me. A shutter. And a window. 
Shutter attached by a single hinge and flapping against the side of the house. And no lock on the window. No way of locking the window. Henry. Gerald. Gerald, are you up? Where? Where? In a room. Over the gaming place. It's all right. I've locked the door. But the window, it's... Window. And there's a window. Listen. Did you hear? I was wide awake, and every one of my senses seemed to be preternaturally sharpened. Piano and a song I had never heard, and then behind it... The laughter. Wide awake, yet somehow the effects of whatever drug I had drunk seemed suddenly to arise again. And for an instant, toy with my perception so that I reached for the wall to steady myself lest I fall down. Leaned against the wall for support. The jollity of the evening, children, and the youth from England. Oh, dear Millie, dear Millie, dear Millie. So it is. And Fabian, 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 the youth and his friend, and his friend, and the handkerchief now. He's such a dear boy. Yes. Such a dear boy. Yes. He's such a dear boy. He's such a dear boy. He's such a dear boy. The moment their voices wavered and fled, a kind of melancholy seized me. I walked over to the window and looked out. Looked out upon blackness, a swarm of blackness. No shapes definable could be made out through the gloom, except a lighter grayness of a sort, as if an abutment of some kind, I supposed. Directly across the window and somewhat below it, but how far across and to what length below I could not determine. For all purposes then, I knew only that we were above the street level in some three stories. And having felt the walls directly adjacent the window, I found them to be sheer. No one could enter there. I walked over to the bed and took a pillow and placed it beneath Gerald's head. The bed again, and I lay down. This bed that now I was lying upon, I must again describe to you. A four-post bed with a regular top line with chintz. The regular fringed valance all around. It was ridiculous now that I tried to sleep. I couldn't even close my eyes. I resolved then to beguile the tedium of my wakefulness by making inventory of every article of furniture I could see. Window, washstand, chest, chair... Dressing table, picture. Upon the wall opposite the bed, a picture. A fellow in a high Spanish hat crowned with a plume of tiring feathers. A swarthy, sinister ruffian looking upward. It might be at some tall gallows on which he was going to be hanged. Such was the picture. Another chair, candlestick. Picture. It seemed to be moving. The hat had been pulled over the eyes, and there... The hat itself was gone. The hat was gone, the plumes, the... Was the bed moving? No. No, it was but a brief and terrible dream. How could the top of a bed move? A brief and terrible dream. Trick of the eye and the mind's going down for a moment into sleep. Yet... Yet I let my mind say it. The top of the bed had moved. Gerald. Gerald, wake up. Hmm? Huh? Open your eyes. Uh, now what? Shh, quietly. 
Keep your voice in a quiet tone. Why? Why? What? Shh, listen. Above you. Directly above you. Look, there's a picture. Do you see it? Yes. A minute ago, the man was wearing a hat. A hat? He was wearing a hat. Now he is not. Oh, my friend, you're very drunk. I'm very proud of you. You fool. Listen to me. All right, Henry. Where there was a hat is now a peephole, and we are being watched. All right, Henry. Now stay where you are, but be alert. All right, Henry. Henry. Yes. What are you going to do? Make sure of a thing. What thing? The bed. What? Keep your eye on the canopy. I'm going to lie in the bed now, Gerald, and make sure that they're not trying to murder us. How? By feigning sleep. What? By feigning sleep, Gerald, just that. Now, quiet. Yes. Now, I am constitutionally anything but timid. I have been on more than one occasion in peril of my life. And I have not lost my self-possession for an instant. But when the conviction settled on my mind that the bed top was actually moving, it loosed a feeling within me, foreign, laced through with terror. So I lay there, motionless, speechless, breathless. The candle spent went out, but the moonlight still brightened the room. I lay there. descended. The whole canopy came down, close down. Henry. I lay there. Henry. Literally spellbound by what was happening. Out of bed. But once I could not tell whether reality was here or my imagination was taking hold. Quickly, before they... Closer, closer. Henry. Gerald's voice shattered this warm sea of fascination that bound me, and I leapt from the bed. Look, look, Henry. Yes. There, the middle of the bed top. A huge wooden screw. Like a press. To smother me and relieve me of my winnings and then kill you. Young sir. Mr. Carter, open. Unlock the door. Open. The light of the morning, Gerald. And look. It comes up and through the window, across the narrow shaft. Another building. We can leap it. Not I. What? No, no, not I. My legs are still unsteady. If I should stand up on that sill, I'd fall into space. Then wait. And hurry. Yes. Hurry. Hurry. The rest of my story is soon told. From the building next door, I reached the ground and sought police. With them, I returned. And Mr. Fabian was seized, as was Mrs. Prudhomme. The police congratulated me on my good fortune and Gerald's on his, and told us that they would probably never know how many people had been smothered in this diabolical bed. So tightly was the canopy pressed to the bed that I could not retrieve my money. The me mechanism had to be released from the room above. The police bade us go, and finding ourselves walking homeward, Gerald said to me, I know a place where gambling is carried on at such a fever pitch that you'll be carried to the heights of excitement. Needless to imagine, I refused to go along with Gerald. My adventure cured me of ever again trying Rouge et Noir as an amusement. The sight of a green cloth with packs of cards and heaps of money on it will henceforth be associated in my mind with the sight of a bed canopy descending to suffocate me in the silence 
and the darkness of the night. Suspense. Tonight's star, Mr. Peter Lawford. Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. A Terribly Strange Bed was adapted for suspense by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, from the story by Wilkie Collins. In tonight's story, Ben Wright was heard as Gerald, Paula Winslow as Mildred, Joseph Kearns as Fabian, and Vic Perrin as the croupier. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. That was a 1954 episode of Suspense, entitled A Terribly Strange Bed.
And our two lazy bonus tracks, Lazy Louisiana Moon, that was Nat Shilkret and the Hilo Hawaiian Orchestra from 1930. Before that, Lazy Rhythm, Lou Stone and his band from 1933. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. Joan Loudon, a.k.a. The Bass Lady, inviting you to join me every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. for The Bass Lady Presents, with a different weekly theme from jazz to Celtic, from Newgrass to New Orleans, it's always a mix of great music. That's every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30, with a repeat airing on Saturdays from 4 to 5.30 p.m., right here on 93.3 FM, W-S-H-D-L-P Eastport, Maine I'm all about that base Hey, have I got a radio show for you Old Coasting comes at you twice a week Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4 Right here on W-S-H-D-L-P in Eastport, Maine 93.3 FM On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music uh, We like to talk about it a little bit, too It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means. Every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, 
but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. <laughs> 